Welcome to Optimal Health Uncovered. We are a group of health and wellness professionals in the New York metropolitan area where our mission is to empower you to live better. From specific injuries to general fitness trends, diets to sleep habits, our group of specialists are dedicated to bringing you the latest evidence-based research on the topics that matter most. Welcome to this session of Optimal Health Uncovered. Welcome to Optimal Health Uncovered. I'm Todd. And I'm Mike. And today we're going to cover a topic that's pretty prevalent out there in the news. No, it's not <laughs> the Supreme Court interviews with Congress, but athletic injury, something that we can somewhat talk about, specifically returning to the field or courts after a layoff. We don't have anyone with us today. It's just you and I. So this could be a quick one. Could be uh, informative. We'll see. We'll see what we got this morning. All right. Let's talk about injuries. Let's talk about the NFL. What do you think this COVID situation that we're living in and how it's affected, you know, training programs? We know that in the past we've had shortened seasons in uh, professional sports and there's some data out there to support uh, the fact that there were a higher rate of injuries at that time. What do you think about this year in the NFL? Well, it certainly seems like there's more injuries. It, it's hard to have any definitive data at this point in the season, and, and the NFL is not necessarily going to release that. But you know, the naked eye approach, the the face value approach, seems like there's definitely more injuries, and there's definitely more injuries to big names than we're seeing. And uh, kind of how it's constructed makes sense. There's no there was no preseason. Players didn't have access to the facilities. You know, their their strength and conditioning programs, their training, their camps were all disrupted because of COVID. Um, you know, even though they have the means to do a lot of these things on their own, it's not the same when you're not in that team environment working with teammates. And as the NFL did a good job, but just like anybody else struggled with figuring out COVID precautions, you know, their players had less access to kind of their normal routines. And I think that is what we're seeing with some of these injuries to, to all players. Yeah, I agree. I, I, I think, you know, the athletes can train on their own, but it's not the same, especially when you talk about team sports where timing and execution is key. And, just being in the right place at the right time. We know that in injury with injuries, they can happen uh, very quickly and just knowing how to activate the muscles and activating them properly. We train for that plyometric training, strength training, you know, but it's just really being out there and having the contact as you're trying to kind of move in awkward positions that are leading to some of these injuries. Um, you know, what do you know about the data from the last time the NFL had a strike? Was there anything firm that came out uh, as far as data back then? Yeah, so there is a study that looked at the 2011 lockout compared to previous years, and it was in our professional journal, which is the Journal of Orthopedic and Sports Physical Therapy. It was just specific to one injury type, which was Achilles injuries. So Achilles injuries are pretty debilitating for an athlete or for anybody, but specifically for an NFL athlete, um, you may never return. Typically, you're going to return in a year, sometimes two years, missing you know two full seasons, and you're probably not going to be as fast, as powerful, et cetera. So it's a big deal injury. Um, so they looked at injuries during that season, and they looked at injuries in the previous like 20 some odd years. So there was 12 Achilles injuries during that uh, initial phase of the season. And in fact, there was 10 
in the first 12 days of training camp. So that's a huge increase. And then there was two in the subsequent 17 days. So looking at that data and putting it into context, from the years 1997 to 2002, so it was at a five-year time frame, there was 31 Achilles total. So they typically averaged eight per year. And then you had that lockout year where they were getting 12 in the first 30 days of the season. So it's a big, it's a big injury. Um, and there's definitely some science maybe behind why that could occur, right? So in those Achilles uh, tendons and in all of our tendons, we have some components of our body that basically sync with our neurological system to basically contract a muscle fast and they communicate at a subconscious level back. So if we're not getting that preload, if we're not preparing those tendons for the load that's going to be put on them during the season, there's more likelihood that they're going to rupture. And it seems like that's what we, that's what occurred. Now, when we look at that season, did they have a full preseason back then? And then, then they went into regular season. Correct? I think they have an, they had an abbreviated training camp and they had um, an abbreviated preseason, but they had a preseason. Yeah. And then you compare that to now, they're, 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 there's no preseason. Yeah. Dealing with now. And just like you were talking about earlier with COVID, just the organizations and the league itself, not really knowing how it was going to manage bringing athletes back, bringing people who were involved in the team back on campus to to practice. And it was kind of all coming together at the end and then not having a, a f they went through their training camp, but not having formal games uh, in the preseason, you know, bad opportunity, you know, little opportunity for newer athletes to try and make a name for themselves uh, make the roster, you know, so tough on every angle of looking at how do I make an NFL team at that point? And then to start off the season, I almost feel like watching the first weeks of the games, it was kind of like preseason. You could tell they hadn't gelled yet. Timing was off. Penalties were off. And like we, we were talking about a lot more injuries that it feels like there's a lot more injuries. We're definitely seeing it. Uh, we don't have data yet. What are your thoughts on how long will it take us to really get that data from uh, the NFL? Uh, definitely, you can't really do much, I think, until the, the season closes, and they're probably not going to release that. Even if, when I was looking into research for NBA lockout, NFL lockout, and years prior, they kind of keep that research close to the cuff. So what you get, you're not getting, I think, a full snapshot. Obviously there's collective bargaining reasons for that, et cetera. Um, so I think we'll get it year end. I think if you look at now versus a typical year, you may be getting the same amount of injuries, but you would get a lot of them in preseason and you wouldn't get them to the big names that you're getting. Cause you're going to get your second string, third string individuals yeah. that are trying for a shot that may have been cut. Uh, now you're getting them in someone like Saquon Barkley and, and, and some other big name individuals. So I think that's the big difference is you're getting them in starters and it has a drastic effect on the team versus some of the preseason uh, players that may not have been making full 50 man rosters. Yeah, that's a really good point. It's just, it seems like a lot, a lot bigger names this year. Uh, big injury this past weekend with Dak Prescott, you know, yeah. not really, I don't know that you can call it conditioning. I think that's just bad luck. Uh, you know, having a guy 250 pounds falling on you as you're trying to manipulate around uh, to score is it's just that happens. Yeah. You know, that was just devastating though. So how long do you think he's out for? Um, uh, definitely all of the season. And I would say probably most of next season, if not all of next season, yeah. they're, they're going to say he's going to be back, you know, for next season and he could be, and he's an amazing athlete, but I, I wouldn't rush him back. You know, the, the hope is that he just gets back at that same level. I think he'll lose a step in terms of mobility. That's a major injury. But, uh, even as a, a Giants fan, I, I wish him the best because I think he is a, a good player and Great I think he deserved the contract that he didn't get, but, um, you know, that what's done is done. Yeah. 
other sports. We talk about NFL early on uh, as the NBA uh, was starting back up and more the WNBA. Uh, I was hearing more chatter from commentators about just injuries in the women. You know, did you hear anything on WNBA versus NBA? I didn't, I didn't get any, I wasn't able to pull any data from this season. Uh, again, you kind of extrapolate from the lockout season. So in the lockout season, which again, I guess 2011 was a bad year in retrospect. I didn't realize that all of this happened in 2011. So the NBA also locked out and the injuries, you know, basically they, they typically do their data by, cause they play so many games like injuries per day or injuries per game. So injuries per day increased basically twofold, not twofold, I'm sorry, two injuries. So from seven to about nine per day. Um, so it's hard from a statistical standpoint to show statistical significance, but there definitely was a trend towards more injuries uh, during those seasons. Um, I would say WNBA would probably find the same trend. I didn't find that specifically. Uh, and both, well, the full, the, the male NBA season is uh, a little different in that they had probably what, almost three quarters of their season done. They took a weird break because of COVID. They kept training to whatever extent they could. So they weren't starting from scratch like the NFL is. So I think that data is going to show a little bit of a difference. Plus you didn't have, you know, your full teams playing. You had teams that were on that playoff bubble and then they played in and then you had your teams that competed in the playoffs. So I think that's going to be a little bit different. Um, you know, MLS, I wasn't able to pull anything from the MLS either. You know, one thing you realize in, in kind of doing some of the research is it's hard to pull data from professional sports. And obviously there's definitely reasons for that. Um, but I think if we just take the research as a whole, you you look at it and say, okay, there's just, it, there's going to be more injuries because of some of these disturbances. And then you have to tease out, you know, because we like to magnify things. So when, you know, Saquon Barkley or Nick Bosa goes down with you know ACL injuries, that happens every year. So it's hard to say that those are COVID. Dak Prescott, hard to say that's because of COVID. Football is a, a violent sport, right? So I look more at those sprain strain type injuries, the hamstring injuries, the ones where they didn't have time to really ramp up the neuromuscular system, the Achilles type injuries. Those I think are more predictive. So the data is going to have to come out over probably a year or so. And then we really have to tease out, okay, of those, which were truly preventable injuries or, you know, when we could really mitigate risk and which ones were just kind of part of playing the game. Yeah, I agree. It's like, what can you do in this whole COVID environment we're living in? Everything's been disrupted and it's not like, you know, hopefully in the future, we're not going to be dealing with this on a regular basis. Uh, but this is something, you know, as a whole, we weren't, you know, ready for it nor were these organizations. This is a lot of moving pieces when you think about everything that goes into putting a sports team on the field. And now we're slowly getting fans back in the, the stadiums, et cetera. But a lot of moving pieces and the training part, you know, you just assume that these athletes will do what they're supposed to do because they are professional athletes. But, you know, it, their team component, like we spoke of earlier, is, is very important and for you know, just gradually conditioning those muscles and, and getting them to a level where they're ready to participate. But there's going to be injuries. Where do you think we're heading uh, in the future here in the next four to six months with, you know, other sports? Uh, we came in this morning, Zach's talking about injuries in baseball. Obviously a little different uh, sport uh, as far as, you know, where they're at in their season, how they've managed it. They're not in a bubble. They're, you know, they're kind of near the end of their season. Now, what do you think we're going to be uh, with baseball, with a continuation of football for the rest of the year here? You know, the big scare that I see popping up now are these COVID cases in Patriots camp in t Tennessee. You know, how are we going to control that? Uh, 
So I guess there's a lot of questions there. Well, we can go sport by sport. I think baseball, the injuries, because I looked at this, the baseball injuries basically just shifted to when they started the season. So typically Tommy John surgeries peak from, say, March to June, right, the beginning third of the season. Uh, net, then they were shifted because it started later, three to three to six months back from that, because just the, the season shifted a little bit. So it wasn't that there was more injuries that I was able to uncover that that just happened at a different part of the season. I think the, you know, the hamstring injury in football is analogous to like the oblique injury in baseball, right? If you don't get your timing right, if you're not swinging and decelerating appropriately, if you're not training for that, then you're going to get an increase in injuries. I know a couple people went down last night, Clayton Kershaw and one of the Braves, you know, it's hard to say that those are because of COVID. We tend to try to blame everything on COVID, but I think, you know, injuries are going to happen irrespective of the sport. You just got to look at the data. So baseball just kind of shifted its injuries over NFL. Do I think we can get through a season? You know, I think they will get through a season. I think they have systems and structures in place, but I think what we're seeing in Tennessee is certainly concerning um, in that, you know, you're going to delay games, you're going to postpone games. There's only one bye week that you kind of have to play with. So they're going to have to be creative with schedule. And I think the administrative side of the NFL has done a good job in managing that. They're kind of prepared going into it with ex expanded, um, injured reserve. You were, I think you're allowed to be on there. Um, let me make sure I get this right. Basically, I think you were typically, you had to be out for a minimum of eight weeks, but they changed that for three weeks for the season so they can throw people on IR and then get them off a little bit quicker for the season. And then, you know, if you have somebody on COVID, they don't go on IR, they go on a specific COVID specific list, like, on, you know, whatever that's called so that they're, they're not counting towards your, your roster. And I think they even opened up a little bit more roster spots for that. So they were prepared for it. Um, I think they've done a decent job managing it. It's hard to, to, fault them for anything that's happened. I think the teams out there would be responsible. So I think when you hear about some violations in terms of players not doing what they need to do, then that that's a problem. When you're not in a bubble situation, this stuff's going to happen. So the NBA and NHL, for example, they were towards the end of the season, they were able to do a bubble, huge, tremendous load on the, the family structures where these, these guys weren't able to see their families. It's hard to do that with an NFL football team. They're traveling, you know, so it's, it's going to be different. I think we will get through the season. I think everyone's testing and being responsible. Um, but that's a very controlled environment. So then you blow that out to youth sports and what we do there. It's a whole different conversation that we have. Yeah. I was just going to transition to that a little bit. You know, we're still, we still have football teams on the field. The youth organizations here in Connecticut are, are actually moving forward and nearing the end of their season. The high school sports obviously football is stopped uh, in Connecticut. Anyhow, there are some teams that are, shuffling around to kind of work under you know the youth organization so they get some looks and get some reps in you know these kids for their recruiting process going into college etc you know what's been the pattern coming into the offices for the youth groups we work with i don't it doesn't feel like we're seeing a lot of injuries at that level no. so i think the pattern is less sports equal less injuries on on our side right so people are still playing but they weren't playing most of the summer they're if they're playing now, it's probably a third of the kids will opt in a third of the kids will opt out and some will kind of do some limited participation. Um, so we're getting a total number of injuries and every hospital statistic or orthopedist you talk to, will will share that same data that they're getting less of the surgical cases associated with it. I think we are seeing in, we're, we're kind of mitigating that a little bit or, or flattening that curve a little bit with the amount of overuse injuries that we're seeing. So they're just training and doing kind of the same thing. So if they're not playing, 
are they in the weight room and just kind of doing the same thing where they're not getting that variety that they would typically get in a competitive season. And I'm looking at somebody out in the clinic here now that is here for that exact reason. He's just, rather than playing on the football field, he's back squatting his max every couple, every couple of weeks. Right. So he wouldn't normally be doing that. And he's been doing that for the preceding three months. So he's definitely overloading some of those structures because of it. So I think that's the trend that I'm seeing at least here clinically. What about those youth athletes that were, you know, Johnny, who's playing baseball in three different leagues. We're not seeing that anymore because there's less going on. Are you seeing less injuries because of that, that type of overuse where kids were just playing too much? Yeah, I think we're seeing less of that. And on the other side of that, we're seeing people that weren't doing anything and then just kind of jumped into a game, right? So then they kind of, they stopped, they felt good, and they just started right back up versus that slow ramp. So I think those level out a little bit. Uh, And also I think people have been dealing with, at the collegiate level, we're seeing people who, just opted to get surgeries because their seasons are shot. So why not get this problem fixed that they maybe were going to play through this year and then fix it when they were done. But if I can pitch a little bit better, you know, I just saw one individual yesterday. If I could pitch a little bit better, let me get take care of this now when we're probably not going to have a season this spring. And we definitely didn't have a season last year. So that that's definitely a trend we see. Yeah, I've had a couple of those in the last couple of weeks where people are just analyzing where they're at this season and, and you know, choosing to do a surgical procedure, an elective procedure, to kind of get it out of the way and not risk the the condition getting worse and taking a conservative approach to it. Whereas I think, you know, years ago, you know, pre-COVID here, it was just kind of, I'm going to work through this injury or this annoying, you know, musculoskeletal issue I have until it kind of breaks and then addressing it. So definitely, you know, different approaches to the way people are, uh, addressing their medical issues when it's around the athletic world right now. Uh, interesting. Last night I was on a call uh, with my alma mater, the Ithaca College uh, football team. They're recruiting some individuals, and I was talking with the coaches. And it's been a really messed up year for determining what the performance of these athletes are. You know, how, and I was talking to coach, and I'm just like, how do you grade where they're at? It's like, it's kind of a sliding scale. You have to, you, you've got film from last year. You know, they're working out, they're working out on their own, but they're not in that, you know, environment where they're actually participating and evolving. And it's making it, it's making their, their decision-making a lot more difficult as far as taking a chance on some of these recruits, um, you know, Injury wise, that's one thing, but just overall performance, let's shift gears a little bit. What are you seeing in the office with some of the athletes that are coming in, not for rehab, but, you know, training and performance training with us? Uh, you notice any difference in the, in the way they may be preparing uh, them talking about, you know, colleges they're looking at the process, any additional stress that you're seeing with these athletes? Um, I mean, stress. Yeah. It's all a mess. Like if they, if they don't have established good game footage, especially if they're a spring athlete, cause they missed last year and there's a good chance they may miss this year, you know, cause vaccines probably not coming until the summer at a mass level. Right. So you think that they're thinking, you know, two steps ahead of how can we try to get college coaches, you know, to, to express some interest in us. So really what I'm seeing is more, more, data and like metric driven stuff, meaning they're less game film, more 40 yard dash time, more, you know, overall strength and performance, um, more speed and agility. So the numbers that we can produce in the weight room, the numbers that we can produce kind of on a training field without the competition 
are probably more valuable. And I know, you know, your daughter is a collegiate rower and rowing as a team is a sport that they, they rely really heavily just on a 5k time, right? So a lot of other sports are having to shift towards not necessarily seeing their athletes on the field, but let's look at some of those metrics. So the football, you know, obviously we have the combine metrics established and the, the coaches are struggling in other sports to try to figure out what that looks like. Like in my sport, soccer, you're, you're not going to look at somebody's one rep max bench press and assume that they're going to be any good, right? So that's where it, it's really hard for some of these sports to be a little bit creative. But there is club teams that are being established where there's less liability, right? So the schools don't want to touch it with a 10-foot pole, uh, and understandably so. So the the coach, so I know some youth athletes that have kind of organized their own team away from their coaches that they normally have. So there's no liability. That's what the coaches are saying yesterday. They're getting films of these kids just creating their own. And they're able to be creative and establish. And nowadays, I mean, everyone has an iPhone, which has crazy resolution and all these kids know way better than anyone, my generation, how to create film, sync it to music and everything. So they're doing their own, their their own thing. And I think that they're going to be okay because they're driven and they're motivated, but it's definitely uh, forcing everyone to kind of think on their feet a little bit more. It's interesting. What were, you know, you spoke of soccer. What are the tests? How do, how do you determine what makes a good soccer player other than field? There's no metrics. There's, there's no- very, yeah. I don't know what college coaches are looking at now. I mean, I, we, we always gave game film and, and I mean, I would just look at some of this. One of my, um, I guess it was a work study program it was like part of my scholarship in, in soccer. We would kind of organize some of the stuff for our coach that people would send us. And some of the stats that you would kind of scoff at are not that important. Like the amount of headers in a game and corner kicks and things like that. Like it's a very yeah. unimportant Americanized thing to do to try and like make it more data driven. You really have to see somebody, but I think speed is important depending on I position. So you can look at just fundamental speed. You can look at agility. Um, you can look at endurance. So like whether, whether it be, you know, T tests, beep tests, you know, mile time, mile and a quarter time. There are, there are some metrics just to show somebody is fit. Yeah. It doesn't mean they're, they're skillful with the ball. So that that's a little bit more tricky. Interesting. All right. Interesting discussion here today. And I think it's probably something we should circle back to, you know, in a month or two as the season progresses for the NFL, as baseball winds down. Anything uh, else we should address before closing this thing down? No, I mean, I think if there's anyone listening who is either a casual athlete weekend warrior or otherwise, you know, don't just go out and we say this for anybody, but specifically important now, don't just go out and get on the court, get on the field and play like really more important now than ever to do a good warm up to make sure you're training for the sport. So to do the stuff that you really like to do, which is the, the sport itself, you're going to have to spend way more time doing the stuff that you may not like to do the mobility work and the prep work, just because our bodies are not as conditioned as they were, you know, going into athletic performance. That's a good point. You know, I think you know, we may see in a year, just better athletes if they're really focusing on their body and how their body moves and, and that part of it and not, worrying about playing multiple games, multiple weeks, and just really focusing on that balance between training and then being ready when they get back out there. Well, this has been some good stuff, Mike. Thanks for the chat today. Um, we'll definitely tackle this again in the future because this is something we definitely want to need to keep our eye on and as far as professional sports as well as uh, on the youth level here. So I want to thank everyone for joining us today. hope that you join us again for another episode of Optimal Health Uncovered. Have a great day. Thanks for listening to this episode of Optimal Health Uncovered. If you have questions for us or want to hear about something specific in an upcoming episode, send an email to podcast at performance-pt.com and be sure to check us out on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram for more tips on optimal health. Until next time, be well.